welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Welcome to The Well. My name is Vijay. I'm one of the uh, pastors here on staff, and it's my pleasure to just be with you in this weekly worship gathering. One of the things we love to do is just to give you some time to get your brains engaged. I know some of you are slumping in your seats or whatever. And so here's a discussion question you can think about. You can write into the chat if you want. uh, Or if there's people with you in the room watching, you can talk together. If you were supreme ruler for a year, okay, what would your throne look like? What would you eat every day? And what would you fix in the world? What would your throne would like, you know, look like, come on, like, and what would you eat every day? Because you could. And what would you fix? in the world. So take a couple minutes and talk about that. Okay, well, hopefully that got your brain going. Hopefully there were no lame responses like, well, I'd get a stand-up throne just for it's better for circulation. Or, or uh, I would eat healthy every day. No, don't do that, okay? Don't ruin the thing. Um, now, you might be wondering, what, does those, what do those questions have to do with this word hope? Um, my son Gideon made this for us today, so you can thank him later. We're in a series called Hope in the Dark. And what we mean by that is, how do you have hope when it's dark? You can't see what's in front of you. You can't predict. You can't tell how things are going to go or how this is going to turn out when it's kind of, it's dim. You can't see. Or when it's dark, as in what you see is pretty dark, that it's bad, that it's negative, that it's getting worse, that it's causing a sense of hopelessness and despair in you. How do you have hope in the dark? You might say, okay, well, Yeah, what does that have to do with being supreme ruler for a day? 
Well, actually, because our whole conversation around hope has to do with another word that we don't often put with it and yet is vitally important. It's the word power. Hope and power are actually very much connected. Um, you might say, well, I don't, I'm not thinking that way. But maybe if I say to, this to you, that often we feel hopeless if we feel powerless. Like if I feel powerless to fix the things that are going on in the world around me or in my world or in the world in here, then I feel hopeless. Or I feel hopeless if I say, I can't do anything about this. Hopelessness and powerless are very connected. And so if we're going to talk about having hope and hope in the dark, we have to talk about power. And we say the word power, power, it's actually a word that's used a lot in our conversations these days um, that we're very aware of. Probably if I could summarize it in three different ways. One, we just talk about power as it relates to influence, control, authority, wealth, um, importance. Uh, so all of that idea of who has power and how to get it and the power brokers and the power dynamics. And related to that is this other thing that we are talking more about than ever, which is a good thing uh, that we're talking about it, but it's not a good thing, is abuse of power. We're recognizing there's such a thing as an abuse of power, whether that's um, political leaders or pastors and priests or institutions or um, <clears throat> CEOs or anyone with wealth or those that are influenced, whether it's a parent or whatever, there's such a thing as an abuse of power. And more and more people are speaking out against that and saying, this is a dynamic. This is wreaking havoc in people's lives. And therefore, we're talking about this third thing, empowerment. Empowerment, we're saying, hey, empowerment is one of the things that is needed that those with power need to focus on is how do we give power and spread it out more? How do people get more power? And so we might think of the black power movement in the 1970s where black people were saying, hey, we need to redistribute the gross power imbalance that is shifted towards and in favor of those that are white. And because of that, those that are black are suffering. And so black power, and so that's been a conversation that has continued well into the present day in the conversation about racism is very much a conversation about power um, and empowerment. We talk about girl power and saying, yeah, not just uh, racism, but also uh, people with a certain gender. Women have been um, undervalued, given less power, have been, um, you know, that there needs to be a shift of balance of power away from men towards women as well. And so there's the girl power, the, that movement that we think about. And then just people empowerment. We're saying whether it's in terms of um, social media or democracy, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about elections and politics, it's all about empowering people. <coughs> and so these things are all fitting together, and yet there's, um, it's an uncomfortable conversation and idea. There's a tension we feel in it. On the one hand, power has become kind of a negative word or a negative concept because of abuse of power. And, and so we're, there's something about us, when, with whether people are power, the idea of power, we are suspicious of it. So we feel that tension. Yeah, on the other hand, we go, yeah, but without, the re without power being seized or stripped away from those that are hoarding it or abusing it, and others being empowered, there's no hope for change. And so we actually need power. We need power to be dis redistributed. And so, I don't know about you, but I feel caught in this tension of these ideas and these words and the reality of this. That on the one hand, we, we, we are suspicious of power, and yet we grasp for it. We need it. We, we hate it, but we need it, and we're caught in this tension. And we say, okay, if, if there isn't a redistribution of power, if we don't deal with power, we are going to be left with hopelessness. If th things won't be able to change. And so if we're going to talk about hope, we have to talk about power.
So it's no surprise that the book that we are using as our guide for this conversation about hope in the dark is a letter written to a group of people about having hope in the dark. And one of its central themes is the issue of power. The book, if you're just joining us or just reminder, is one of the books in the library of scripture. It's called The Revelation. It's actually the last book in the Bible. And it comes from the word, uh, the Greek word apocalypsis, which doesn't mean, as we said a couple weeks ago, a, um, you know, the catastrophic end of the world. That's not what an apocalypsis is. It means actually what the transliterated English word says, revelation to see. It is a word that describes actually that this letter is. It's a vision that was given to uh, one of Jesus' followers, John, by Jesus himself to communicate and really read aloud because at that point most people couldn't read. Um, And so it was a letter that was read out loud, a vision so that they could see something more and something else than what they were seeing around them because what they were seeing around them was causing them to feel hopeless. And so it's a letter written to them, written to us as well, not primarily for information, but as we said a couple of weeks ago, experience. It is a book full, of, like a vision, full of images, sights, sounds, smells. And the whole point is actually to give us hope. And what we're going to look at today in the camp out, this part of the letter, has to do with power, one of the central themes of the book, and very much tied, as we said, to our conversation around hope. Chapters four and five, which, were, um, which is where we're kind of camping out, which the blog for the coming week after uh, today's message, you can go to our website, thewell.ca, and you'll see a daily reading. We'll actually take you through chapters four and five. But the beginning of chapter four starts with this interesting phrase where John says in his vision, I saw a door open in heaven. This is the door open in heaven. This is like not knocking on heaven's door, okay? Bob Dylan and treated very well in cover by Guns N' Roses. This is not knocking on heaven's door. This is saying, hey, the door is open. It was an invitation where John felt like, and he heard a voice saying, come look. I want you to look. What is that about? It's basically saying, hey, what you see around you on earth looks pretty bad, looks pretty messy, looks pretty difficult. We're going to talk in a few minutes about why it was, but we can probably relate in different ways. But I want you to see something else. So this door opens in heaven. Why? Not heaven someday, one day, not the future, but the reality, heaven, when, when the scriptures talk about heaven or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's referring to this, the, the reality of God and um, the world according to God. And so John is being invited to say, I know what you see is pretty hopeless, but I want you to see something else. And so the door opens in heaven. And John is, I'm just given a sense to like walk in or peer in to see something else. And what he sees has everything to do with hope and power. And so I want you to listen as today's scripture from, read from, uh, by Gabrielle Taylor, who attends our Vaughn site, uh, explains to us what this vision of hope and power was for John and what does it mean for us. So have a listen. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. John is invited into this scene taking place in heaven for him to see, as even Dave said last week, where is your story heading? How is this all going to work out? How is a resolution coming? And what he sees, first of all, is a throne. The word throne is used over 40 times in the book of Revelation, and 75% of the uses in the entire New Testament are in this book. It, it, it's because it's dealing with power. This is all about power. A throne is a symbol of power. Now for John and his first century listeners, the only throne they would have seen or been aware of was the throne that the emperor of Rome sat on. <clears throat> and at this point in sort of Roman history and, and world history, which is around kind of 90 AD, uh, Domitian was the emperor of Rome. And the emperor and the way you became the emperor and the throne of the emperor was seized through blood and death, and it was kept through blood and death. Like, if you had it, you had it until you died, which sounds great, except that everyone who wanted it from you, the only way they were going to get it was by killing you. And so if you got the throne, it's because you killed somebody, you moved the people out, or somebody else killed them for you. And then there's, there's uh, Roman history is replete with stories of emperors who killed their siblings, um, who killed uh, even parents, who exiled their spouses or nieces or whatever because they were trying to plot to kill them. And so is, this was kind of a, a rule and, and, a, and a reign by a king that was brutal and bloody and, um, and a dictatorship, essentially. And so the Roman emperor had absolute power to do whatever they wanted. And so that's, that was who occupied the throne and, and, um, and was determining how lives went for John and the people. But by this point in Roman history, the emperor wasn't just king, he was also God. And what historians tell us is that by this time, by the reign of Domitian, emperor worship had started to become more of a thing, uh, really with Nero onwards, but they, which was sort of kind of 67, 70 AD. But by 90, it was now state law. So you didn't just obey the emperor, you had to worship the emperor by law, which meant if you didn't, which this group of Christians who kept saying, no, 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 the emperor is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. They were allowed to be, and in fact, the state had a responsibility to punish them. And so they lost jobs because they worshiped Jesus as Lord and not the emperor. They lost their homes. They, um, they were tortured. They were imprisoned. They were exiled like John, and many of them were killed. Many of them had known people who had been killed for sport or for otherwise, basically sanctioned by the government. And so this was, you know, we think, man, our leaders who have power, they abuse it. This, this was a gross abuse of power. And this was the reality. This was the throne. This was the world that they were living in. And so it was a difficult um, uh, reality for them. And so the, the throne is the feature sort of segment. And yet John sees as he peers into heaven, the, you know, God's wanting to show him something else. There is a different throne. It's the universe's throne. And we're going to come back to that was why this was so significant. Another feature you'll read in this, which is related to this whole throne room scene, is a scroll. 
And, and without getting into too much detail about it, remember, these are symbols and images that would have immediately made sense to the first century readers, but they don't immediately make sense to us at all. So we have to explain it. The scroll, it says, was written on both sides and sealed with seven seals, which quickly, that just means it was a complete scroll. Like there was lots on it. Um, and it was sealed with divine authority. The seal of an emperor or of a king was saying, this is divinely sanctioned, ordained. And so here's what this means. As John was struggling in his present situation, living under the rule of the emperor like that, under the, uh, the authority and power of a throne like that, there is this scroll that basically says to him, hey, here's how the story's going to go. And it is both complete, it's written on both sides. There is a complete and full resolution to your story coming. And it's sealed. In other words, it is divinely authored. God himself has said, this is how it's going to go down. And so John says, okay, great, good. I'm going to get to see how this is all going to go. And please show me something that's going to give me hope. And yet, it says, the call went out. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Which I know sounds like, kind of Bible language, but here's what it meant. Who will bring a resolution to this whole story that is both good and complete? Who is able to bring a resolution to this story that is both good and complete? And you know what the answer is? No one. It says nobody, it says in heaven and earth and under the earth, it's just kind of a way of saying nowhere in the universe was anyone worthy and we kind of know that's true, right? Who's actually able, like able as in powerful and good enough to bring a resolution to this chaotic story, as Dave said last week, that we are in the messy middle of, to your story, to my story, to the story of the world, that is both going to be good, but also complete. Not this trite little, oh, and everything worked out and happy ever after. No, that everything broken is fixed, that everything unjust is dealt with, that everything that is wounded is healed. Who is going to bring a resolution to this that is both complete, but also good that everyone says, yes, finally. And the answer is no one. And therefore, it says John weeps. So we don't read this as, oh, John was crying because there was no one to read the book, uh, the bedtime story. It's like, no, that's not what it is. John was crying because he was in pain. He was in exile, and so were his loved ones. So were the people that were following Jesus all around him that he were writing to. They were all crying out in pain. Who's going to bring this? And the answer is, there isn't anybody. Is there really anybody on heaven and earth, under the earth, who's capable of doing this? No. But then, this drama unfolding reaches a climax where the angel says to him, don't weep. Don't cry. There is someone worthy enough. Look, a lion. Look, a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In other words, a beast, <laughs> right? Revelation, you'll read, there's so many pictures of beasts and it was a way of describing how beastly and bloodthirsty and brutal the, the, the empire of Rome was and how they were living underneath it. And so this is good news. There's another beast, the king of the jungle, the lion, a beast. And John turns and it says in the scriptures, he turns, he sees what lion? All I see is a lamb. He said, look, the lion. And John says, I turned to see and I saw a lamb. A lamb on the throne. A lamb. A weak herbivore. Not even a carnivore. How's this beast going to defeat anything? It's a lamb. It's weak. It's helpless. 
it just gets herded around, pushed around, and other people tell it what to do, and then it gets taken for its wool and killed. And in fact, he says, this lamb that I saw was looking as if it had been slain. Friends, this is the most, <laughs> okay, we preachers, we always say this stuff, but maybe this is the most important feature in all of Revelation. One commentator says this is the central theme that the one on the universe's throne who holds all of the power is a slain lamb. The one who's going to defeat all of these ghastly, brutal, bloodthirsty, power-wielding, power-broking, power-abusing beasts is a lamb that was slain. That the lion power of God, the ferocious power of God, is a lamb. It is shown through, in this reference, in case you are unfamiliar with it, is a reference to Jesus, who was the lamb that was slain on the cross. And this is the central theme of the issue of power in Revelation, that on the universe's throne is a slain lamb. Who is going to bring the universe's story to a good and complete resolution? Who's going to fix all that's broken? We cry like John cries. We weep because we look and we say, nobody seems to be worthy. Everybody who gets power ends up abusing it or it's not enough power or someone or something more powerful. Whether it's, you know, the question that I answered to and the what would I fix if I was supreme ruler today of the day, I would want to get rid of human trafficking. And yet the more we've been involved in fighting human trafficking, the more I feel powerless within it. And I think, yeah, who's ever going to stop this? Who's ever going to fight for those who have no voice, who can't fight? The world doesn't even care. Or the issues of racism that per maybe personally have affected you or that you've just had your heart broken over in these recent days. And you just start to realize the more, we can't even stop continuing to perpetuate racism, never mind deal with the injustices of the past of racism. Who is worthy? How is this going to work? John weeps, we weep. And we are told, no, do not weep. Because look, on the universe's throne is a slain lamb and he will overcome. Some of your translations keep using the word overcome or the other word victorious. It's from the Greek word nikaio, which is where Nike got its word, right? Probably one of the best brand, brand names ever. This idea of overcoming and this constant theme, who will overcome? Overcome, who's going to be victorious? The answer is a slain lamb, which is why when you read the rest of this part of Revelation, suddenly the whole place erupts in a worship service and everybody falls down and says before the lamb. And what do they say? To the lamb be belong glory, honor, power, wealth, and wisdom. It's all you. It's all you. It's ironic, though. It's not at all what John expects, right? He hears, lion! He looks and sees uh, a lamb. It's not what John and his readers expect. It's not what we expect. And yet, here's what's so important about this. This idea that the lamb, a slain lamb, is on the universe's throne is both an immense encouragement, but also a sober warning. It's an immense encouragement and it's a sober warning. It's an encouragement because, listen to this, the emperors and rulers and systems and power brokers of this world that seem so powerful will in the end be shamed and defeated in the most hilarious and embarrassing way. <laughs> a lamb beat you. 
right? That's what this is. All of the, it's like a macabre comedy. All of these ghastly, brutal beasts that you're going to read about in Revelation. That, um, if, if, honestly, if you want to read Revelation the best way, get the Action Bible. My kids have it. It's, it's illustrated by some DC comic illustrators. And man, it's way better. You can't read Revelation just words on a page. You've got to see it. And it jumps out all of these beasts. <laughs> and yet what it says, all of these beastly, brutal powers that have oppressed and abused their power. And basically for any of us who would say, yeah, I've felt that. I've been in that place. I have been a victim of an abuse of power or I feel helpless or I'm someone who, you know, had power stripped away or others have used what they have in their own efforts and their own benefits and I have suffered because of it. The encouragement is in the end, the lamb will defeat them and they will be shamed and stripped of all their power. The lamb has overcome in a most unexpected way, in an embarrassing way. That's really, come on, let's be honest. That's what we want, right? We want those who have abused power to be stripped of their power and to be mocked. And actually, that's what the slain lamb is going to do. It's going to defeat them by the most shameful way. The weakest slain killed thing is going to defeat you. You lost to that. That's how power is going to be shamed in the end. It's a huge encouragement to us. For those of us who feel weak, who feel powerless, who have been victims of abuse of power. For those in John's read and John's listeners who were also being slain, literally. They, their names, specific people who had lost their lives. They say, hey, I know you're being slain, but the lamb was slain. And the lamb who was slain is seated on the universe's throne. He has overcome through his death and resurrection. So be encouraged. But it is also a sober warning. It is a sober warning to those who have power, and to some degree we all have it, and to those of us who would think we need more of it, that we're grasping for it. It is a sober warning. Because you know why? It says the only one worthy of handling power is the one who was willing to lay it down. The only one worthy that we can trust, you know, we said we distrust people with power. The only one we can trust to have power is the one who used all of the power he had in the service of others, who was willing to lay down his life. That's why the lamb is slain. It is his death. It was his self-choosing death. It wasn't just a martyr's death. He chose to die. The scriptures say he gave up his life that he might save us, that he might heal us, that he might forgive us, that he might restore us. The one who was without sin took all of the penalty of sin on himself. He was destroyed by death and in the end destroyed death. That's why he's the only one worthy to handle power. And so it is a caution for any of us who have power or who want to have power, be careful. Empowerment is a good thing. But don't think any of us is immune to the corrupting work of power. All of us can be corrupted by power. You will be stripped of your power, those of you that have it, unless you learn from the Lamb, unless you surrender your power to the one who laid it down for everyone. He is the only one who can teach us how to use power. It's why we can trust him. And unless you learn to hold power like the Lamb, this is what Revelation tells us. Unless you learn to hold power like the slain lamb, you too will become a beast. That's what it means. 
all power corrupts unless you learn from the lamb, unless you learn to hold power like the slain lamb. So for those of us who have it, and we all have it in some way, whether that's influence, whether that's wealth, whether that's our job, whether that's our skin color, whether that's just a part of the world that we've been born in or our family system or our health or what we look like, many of us need to stop saying, oh, I don't have power or I don't have power and saying, no, I do. How am I using it in the service of others? Otherwise, it will corrupt me. And it is a caution for those of us that say, we need more. You know, some of the anger that I hear from Christians about, oh, we need Christian government and how come this and look what they're doing is an attempt to seize power. And in fact, many of the ways that Revelation has been interpreted in the past is actually a power play too. Oh, look at all, we know the secret knowledge and we can interpret the signs and this is, it's actually a power play. It's play and it's whole, it completely misses the slain lamb on the throne who says, no, no, this is how power is held by self sacrifice. The bloodshed in Revelation is the lamb's, his own blood, given up in the service of others. And yet the story says, yeah, and in the end, he wins. And so all of us who have power need to be cautioned. All of us who are tempted to think that's what we need need to say, maybe I'm wrong about that. Before we end our service, where we land the plane here, I want to pause and we're going to have a chance to sing a song that maybe is familiar to many of you that we sung before. It's called The Lion and the Lamb. But I want you to sing it now with an understanding of saying, yes, it is a description of the kind of power our God has, but it is a power that is held like a lamb. Because we can very easily import the world's idea of power into our worship of our God. You know, we sing songs like, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. I'm not criticizing that song. I like it. But sometimes we want to sing it that way. I remember hearing a professor say this. We sing it because if our God is greater, then we are greater. If our God is stronger, that means we are stronger. If our God is higher than any other, that means we are higher than any other. And it's just importing this idea of power into our worship of God. And we forget that the lion is a lamb. And so maybe you want to just listen, maybe you want to sing it, maybe you want to just worship Jesus to saying, Jesus, you are the only one who's worthy and able to handle power. You're the only one who could sit on the universe's throne. You're the only one that can bring this story to a good and complete resolution because you have a lion heart to do what is right and good, but you do it like a slain lamb with humility and love and grace and patience. You're the only one. So take a few moments, you want to listen or listen to the words, you want to sing those, to worship our God who is the lion, who is the lamb.
mean for us? What do we do with this idea of hope and power? I want to encourage you in this, that we need to look up and power down. To look up and power down. If this is who is on the universe's throne, the slain lamb, we need to look up. And by that, some of us need to look up. When we look up, when you look up, what you're seeing is your boss. You're seeing that bully or that person in your friend circle seems to have it in for you and have power over you. You're seeing a, a harsh parent. You're seeing a political leader who's, you know, um, making decisions that are making your life worse. You're seeing authority figures. That's what you see when you look up. You need to look further up. You need to, like John, look into the door that's open in heaven and say, no, no, I know that what the powers you see are brutal and beastly and bloodthirsty, but you need to look up and see who is really on the universe's throne. You need to look more at Jesus. That's why we encourage you all the time to do the daily readings. All of them, you'll see, get you to come to Jesus, to look at him, to look at his life, look at how he handled influence, wealth, importance, and power. To remember, oh, don't weep. Look who's on the universe's throne. He will bring this to an end. He will conquer in a way that will that will strip and mock all of the abusing powers and power brokers and systems of this world. He has done it. He has overcome. Look up. But then we also need to power down. 
And, and I would say this, all of us have power in some way. We have influence, even if maybe just over the circle of people that we do life with or in our homes or whatever we work with, we go to school with, we have power. Or maybe, as I said, it's wealth or it's the color of your skin or it's the role you have at job or at the work or in your friend circle or in your neighborhood or just by virtue of the fact of where you live in this part of the world. And what does it mean to say, oh, no, no, that's bad. I, I don't, you know, power is not bad. Power used in the service of others is what the world needs. So don't say, oh, no, I have no influence. I have no power. Ask yourself, what am I doing with the power I have? Am I using it? Okay, even say, oh, I'm not abusing it. I'm not hurting other people. But are you basically out for yourself? In your circle of friends, are you mostly just thinking how you look, what people think about you? In, in your job, is it about the, what you're going to gain, your promotion? In your career, is that what you're thinking about? How can I make the most amount of money? How can I carve out a nice life for myself? This is why I'm choosing this career. Or are you saying, no, what does it mean to recognize that any power I have is given to me and entrusted to me from the Lamb, and I need to learn from the Lamb how to use it? And so what does it mean to power down? Or even just to say, you know what? I've been so anxious and angry at the power brokers around because I've been grasping for it. I've been buying into the lie that that's what I need. And because I'm powerless, I'm hopeless. So I'm going to say, power down. I don't need that kind of power to overcome. You might say, well, that sounds great. That's a great vision that John saw. How do we know it's true? How do we know the lamb will overcome that in the end, all of these brutal, beastly, bloodthirsty power brokers will be stripped of their power and the lamb will overcome? How do we know? Because it's happened already and it is happening still. Within 200 years of this letter, the Roman emperor himself begged for mercy and said, fine, I will become a Jesus follower. I cannot stop this movement. Within a couple hundred years, the whole world was turned upside down. Today, Caesar is the name of a salad or a dog. <laughs> and Jesus has had more songs written about him and sung about him than any person on the face of the earth. This poor carpenter from a backwater town in the Middle East who died at the age of 33 and never traveled more than 100 miles from his home has turned the world upside down. To my knowledge, there are no active Roman temples to the worship of the emperor anymore. But there are over 27 million active churches in the world. And there's no culture and no corner of geography that say, oh, he's ours. He's everywhere. The lamb has and will overcome. So don't be afraid to look up and find your hope there. Don't be afraid to power down and still find hope. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we just need to know you more. We need you to teach us. We confess that we just buy into this lie of power over and over again. And yes, we do need to speak up. Yes, we do need to resist injustice. We do need to speak out for those that have no power, have no voice. But in the end, Lord, we know that the way that victory comes, the way we overcome is the way you have and are and will through self-sacrifice. So teach us how to hold power like you do. Free us from becoming beasts ourselves with whatever power we hold. And open our eyes. Let us see through the door in heaven that somehow we can have hope. 
again because you are sitting on the throne. And that's why we sing to you, we pray to you, we love you in your name. Amen.